True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to a Spotlight Minisode, in which we discuss cases that are in the media at the moment. Before we get into today's minisode, I'd like to thank our new Patreons for the week. A huge thanks goes out to Lucinda Engelbrecht, Sean Christoph, and Anthony Kaywood for signing up to support the show through the Patreon platform, as well as Adriana Coitking and Megan Haynes for increasing their pledges. I'd also like to thank Magdalene Duval for her donation through PayPal. I really appreciate all the support for the show. It makes a huge difference. If you'd like to donate towards the show monthly through Patreon or make a once-off donation through PayPal, I'll leave the links in the show notes. As always, any form of support is appreciated and it doesn't have to be financial. Sharing of episodes, inviting your friends and family to listen and interacting on social media all go a long way to keeping the show growing and improving. This week, our minisode is going to be a bit of a mixed bag of things. We'll be discussing some of the true crime cases that have been in the media recently, and there have been some seriously horrific cases. And we'll also have some additional information on the screwdriver rapist case that I covered in episode 37. The following episode may contain sensitive material including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counseling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. On the 1st of October, an 11-year-old girl, Owetu Mantlosa, was found stabbed to death in her bedroom. The girl, who lived in Maradeni, KZN, was found by her parents when they awoke. Police have opened a case of murder and they're looking for a 22-year-old man, Tamsan Kachela, in connection with the crime. The man apparently disappeared from the scene when the girl's body was discovered. Anyone with information about the whereabouts of Tamsanka can contact Warrant Officer Skumbuzo Mnumtambo on 063-187-2666. On a game farm in Kroblesdal, a 28-year-old man was shot five times while he slept. Raymond Papapaflu was asleep in his bedroom around midnight when it's alleged that intruders entered the home through a window and shot the young man. His wife was asleep on the couch with their dog and she told one media outlet that she'd fired seven shots at the intruders. Police said that at this point they don't know how many intruders they're looking for, nor what the motive may have been. Footprints were found outside of the home, and the police's dog unit was brought in to track the perpetrators, but they were not found at that time. A fault fire in the area at the time may have also disturbed the scent trails. A 32-year-old woman has been arrested in the Eastern Cape for killing her two children aged one and six. The woman allegedly phoned her sister 
to tell her that she'd killed the children before drinking poison in a suicide attempt. Her sister called the police and they arrived and rushed the woman to hospital where she's now recovering under police guard. The bodies of her two children were found in the home. In September, an Mpumalanga mother was found guilty of poisoning her four children to death and was given a life sentence. Last week, a young farm manager in Sienekal, Brendan Horner, was found brutally beaten, stabbed and tied to a pole by his neck. Horner's vehicle was missing and a knife was found near his body. The Sienekal community is up in arms over Brendan's senseless murder and his boss put up a 50,000 rand reward for any information leading to the arrest of his murderers. Brendan's vehicle was found abandoned. The reward brought in a tip about two stock thieves who, when arrested, were in the possession of blood-stained clothes and shoes. The Senecal community has claimed that they have been begging police for help with stock theft for years and received none. It is possible that Brendan had interrupted the two men while they were trying to steal animals. The two men appeared in court and a huge contingent of farmers attended to protest and demand that the suspect be handed over to them so that they could seek justice themselves. In the Free State, a man who kidnapped his ex-girlfriend's baby has been found having committed suicide, and sadly the young child's body was also found nearby. 33-year-old Chepete Mgomezulu had an altercation with his girlfriend at her home on the 30th of August. He assaulted the woman, and she left to ask her neighbours for help. Unfortunately, she left the 20-month-old baby sleeping in the house. By the time she'd returned, Chepete had disappeared, and her child was gone too. We don't know how long the deceased bodies had been there for by the time they were found, but they were discovered on a nearby farm more than a month after they'd disappeared. This type of domestic abuse is sadly becoming more common, where the abusive partner will take their anger out on the abused partner's child, as they know very well, that is the most effective way to hurt them in the long term. The cause of death for the baby has yet to be established. Moidian Pangakar, the man charged with the vicious murder of Tasne van Vaik, has also been charged with a wide range of other incidents since his arrest for the eight-year-old's murder. The first time I discussed this man, it had already become clear that he was a lifelong serial offender. But the victims that have started coming forward since he was arrested paint an even darker picture, if that's even possible. In addition to the rape, kidnapping and murder of Tasne, Pankakar is facing an additional 20 charges, so far, of rape, kidnapping and serious assault. You may remember that Moidian Pangakar had been in jail numerous times throughout his life, and in my opinion, this is one case where the cops did their job and they were let down by the courts and the departments of corrections who gave this man pathetic sentences and let him out on parole. The man has been in and out of prison at least 12 times in his life. 
and we aren't talking about petty crimes here. He was jailed for the manslaughter of his own toddler son at one stage. The child died, allegedly, from neglect and abuse. But because Pangakar's lawyer offered up his serious drug problem as mitigating evidence, he wasn't found guilty of murder and served just a few years for his crime. One of the things that has come out about this man is that in the years since his last release, he's lived all over the country. He's lived in Johannesburg, Port Elizabeth, East London, and various places in the Western Cape, just in the last four years. The women coming forward now are accusing him of some of the most brutal and vicious crimes. One woman says that Pangakar assaulted her so viciously while she was pregnant that she went into labour as she lay on the floor, bloodied and bruised. I'm going to risk saying that when all is said and told, this man could likely be one of the most prolific abusers and killers of women and children that this country has ever seen. From the horrific stories we're hearing from his family members, it seems to me that this guy has been committing crimes pretty much from his early teenage years. He's now in his 50s. And that is a seriously frightening thought. There is no way that Moidi and Pangakar can be released back into society. He is clearly incapable of rehabilitation. And I firmly believe that Tasne and his son were not the first children he murdered. If anyone deserves the designation of dangerous offender, who should never be released on parole, it's this man. And from one dangerous offender, we move on to another, which thankfully is no longer in circulation because he was taken out by his own victim. In episode 37, I told you the story of the so-called screwdriver rapist. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I recommend you pause here, go and listen to it, and then come back to hear the rest of this minisode. William Falamava was a serial rapist who stalked South Africa in the 1970s. He graduated to murder before being killed by one of his own victims. One of the things I discussed in that episode was that William was one of ten siblings. All of them grew up in pretty destitute circumstances, and it really amazed me that he was the only one of them that ended up being a deviant rapist and murderer. After I aired that episode, I was contacted by one of the show's long-time listeners, Megan Repko. Megan told me that her stepfather had said that his aunt knew William Fandamava and his family. Megan visited her family recently and sat down with them to discuss their memories of William Fandamava. The first voice you'll hear is Connie Kennedy, speaking about the siblings of William Fandamava that she remembers. There's a conversation going on in the background, but just focus on what Connie's saying. I remember Mary and Peggy and Flora and Kathy and there was another one, five sisters. Um, I didn't know all of them. I knew Mary and Peggy, who were twins, and I was basically of their age at their school time. Where, where was that? 
That was in Johannesburg in the 1960s and the early 1960s. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. Okay, and what um, contact did you have with the brother? Uh, the brother I knew simply because he was their brother and saw him from time to time. And in your opinion, like, what was he like? Very, very polite. Yes. And... Uh, Never frightening anybody. Was he just a calm? Yes, just an ordinary, ordinary, an ordinary brother of a friend at that time. Okay. Was there anything that stood out about him that worried you, or? Um, no, no, not really. No, he okay. was just a boy. That's all. Can you tell me more about um, how you guys grew up, your interactions with him? We grew up in a very, very poor neighbourhood. Which was? Uh, which was Johannesburg, a place called Bertrams, which was a municipal area mm-hmm. um, where we all lived. And um, he was there some of the time. Um, most of the time he was at reformatory school. But I do know eventually he was sent to a reformatory school in Cape Town. And then Connie's husband, Michael Kennedy, overhears the conversation and mentions that he too knew William, but in a bit of a different capacity. I met him because I was investigating him when he was still with Royer. You remember Royer, so whatever his name yes. was? When I was at Boyston's police station. Yeah. I investigated him then. I investigated him when I was a policeman at Boysons. Yes. We dealt with the whole of the South Rand from Boysons Police Station. Yeah. So we did all sorts of investigations in terms of theft and robberies and housebreakings and what have you. Those two guys were always involved in illegal activities. So Michael says that when he was a police officer at Boyson's police station, he investigated William van der Merwe and one of his accomplices for some of his more minor crimes. They were youngsters. They grew up in tough areas. They were poor. They came from poor families. There was probably no money for education, very little opportunity. And that's what they turned to. They turned to to crime. Petty crime, but crime nevertheless. I met both of them. Like when you go to somewhere to go and arrest somebody, you meet them for five minutes. You don't get to know anybody in five Uh minutes. You just know this is your suspect that you're detaining. Okay, so you didn't have any like initial thoughts about it? Like most of these people, when you get involved in this type of thing, it's because of your circumstance. But he had two sisters who grew up in the same house, Mm -hmm. William. And they didn't turn out like he did. So keep in mind that the Fundamava siblings were separated after their father's death. So the two sisters he's referring to are just the ones who remained behind. Also keep in mind that the crimes he's referring to are things like housebreaking and theft. He's not referring to the rapes, because at this stage William was still just a petty criminal. And he became, in Cape Town, the notorious rapist. Screwdriver rapist. Raping people, and eventually the one woman 
He, he wrapped the letter in the back of a van and she got hold of his gun mm -hmm. and shot him. Yeah. Killed him. Yeah. Very sad for the family and very sad for everything, but I mean, Bahili become a hardened criminal. You can't tell what a person's like when you, when you are basically in their company for five yeah. minutes and you go in there yeah, to no. detain them and drag, <laughs> and drag them off to a police station. Yeah. You don't really get to know somebody then. So were you the one that detained him the first time? I, I, was, I went to go and arrest Royas. Someone else went and arrested William. But I'll say eventually he came down to Cape Town, I've heard of him all those years, and was quite surprised to find out that he was the rapist and only People. Oh, were you surprised? I didn't know at the time that he was okay. the rapist they were looking for, a serial, a serial rapist. I wouldn't have thought that he would do something like that. Yeah. don't know what, what possessed him to do something like that. A guy like William grew up in a, in, a, in a poor community. The same as what you did. Incredibly poor. But people can't yes, think that poor. Yes, I'm sure they can't. But he had two sisters who grew up in the same house as him. He was they, one of eleven and, children, and he and he turned out the way he did, and the and rest that, didn't. The rest had nothing. So how it comes about? Yeah. Obviously, your circumstances are bad. Yeah. But some people get past those kind of circumstances, and others don't. Yeah. And, and as, I, as I said, I'd, I'd known him at Voices, known of him, and I mean, they wasn't in my area. He came into my area. Royas came into my area. When he was eventually shot and killed after he raped some woman and she killed him, Good everybody, friend. including myself, was surprised that he was actually the serial rapist that people have been looking for all this time because you hadn't connected him no. with that. I mean, yeah. petty crime, you understand. He used to say to me, Tony, I'll draw your pockets for you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, but yeah, that he was, Totally deranged, there's no question about it. I think there's one thing I ever learned in life is not to judge other people. No. Because you don't know what drives people to do things, you don't know their background, you don't know their circumstances, you know what you see on the surface, but what's under the surface, you often do not have a single clue about. Do you know that he was incarcerated in... Um, Tukai. In Tukai when I got married. Yes, his sister and her boyfriend came and drove the wedding car. So that we're talking about '69. It happens under your nose, and, and you, you, don't, you don't know about it. Don't and there has never been a truer word spoken. You never know what is going on inside the head of another person. Never, even if you've known them your entire life you still cannot hack into what is happening in their brains. Connie Kennedy called William Fundmaver a very polite young man that helped her to carry her parcels. Michael Kennedy saw him as a petty criminal, a boy who'd grown up in pretty dismal circumstances and couldn't rise above them. He was a policeman, and he was shocked when William Fundmaver was named as the screwdriver rapist. Why? Because you just never know what is hiding behind the eyes of another person. I'd like to thank Megan Repko for recording that interview for me and Connie and Michael Kennedy for sharing their memories.
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the mixed bag that was your spotlight minisode for the week. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the show on the app you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll be back next week with a full episode. Until then, as always, thank you for your support and I'll chat to you soon.